Hello, friends. It's November 18th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church, located in Concord, Massachusetts, and I would like to wish my brother Dan, who lives in the state of New Hampshire, a very happy birthday today. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we read, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And I hope that this podcast, where we read each day's portion as it's allocated in the one-year Bible, serves to do just that, provoking you to love the Lord more and love one another more. We are continuing in the book of Ezekiel and the very practical New Testament epistle of James. Ezekiel's prophecies, as we shall see, extend into the future, and some have yet to be fulfilled. God has a plan to once and for all put away evil. So let's go to chapter 37 and read the prophecy of God's miraculous life-restoring power. The Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you will live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves, and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. I will be their God. They shall be my people. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. 
and join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, Will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick, that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around, and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things." or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Chapter 38 Prophecy Against Gog The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togarmah, from the uttermost parts of the north, with all his hordes. Many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples, and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes, and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme, and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, 
all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth, Sheba and Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish, and all its leaders will say to you, Have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel, like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I spoke in former days, by my servants the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And this concludes our reading from today's portion from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. There are two parts to Ezekiel chapter 37. The first part, Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14, speaks of what God is going to do in the future to restore Israel spiritually and physically. He was to prophesy to dry dead bones and call them to hear the word of the Lord. He was to prophesy to the wind, the breath, the ruach, the spirit, and call the spirit to bring resurrection life to those who were dead. It is a picture of a redemptive work of full restoration. The second part of chapter 37, verses 15 through 28, speaks of the unification of the northern and southern kingdom, Israel under Ephraim and Judah, under one king in the land of the mountains of Israel. This was a command for Ezekiel to prophesy with another visual parable. He was to take two separate sticks, one labeled as Ephraim Israel, what was once the northern kingdom, and the other labeled Judah, the southern kingdom, and they will be joined as one stick. The word for one here is echad, meaning a composite oneness, rather than the Hebrew word yakid, meaning a singularity. 
This is the word that mirrors the community of oneness in the Trinity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Echad, community of oneness in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The community of oneness in marriage, the two shall be one in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And the organic oneness of the vine, branches, and grapes as one cluster in Numbers chapter 13, verse 23. These visions have yet to be fulfilled. Ezekiel, like many preachers, felt like he was prophesying to a dead audience. The exiles in Babylon rarely responded to his message. Even when remnants returned to the land of Israel in the post-exilic period or in the restoration of the nation in 1948, the conditions of a spiritual restoration have yet to occur. Nor has the time come when the nation of Israel has become subject to the prophesied Messiah King, whom the Lord calls my servant David. David means beloved in Hebrew, who will reign forever in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 15. The chapter ends with promises that echo Jeremiah's prophecy of the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 31. This is evidence that God has a future plan for a restored Israel and a physical and spiritual kingdom reign of the Messiah on the earth. These prophecies speak also of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, the promise of a physical resurrection of the body, and the restoration of the people of God as a great spiritual army. These visions take us to the end of the time of the Gentiles, when the branches that were broken off, speaking of Israel in Romans chapter 11 verse 17, will be grafted back in in Romans chapter 11 verse 23. God's plan is that the prayer of Jesus be fulfilled, that they may be one as He is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. John chapter 17, verse 22. Ezekiel chapter 38 pictures a time when God's people, Israel, are gathered from the nations to which they had been scattered and return to their land which is called the center of the world. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 12. This expression in the original Hebrew reads literally as the belly button, the navel of the world. They will then find themselves under attack by a confederacy of nations from the north, led by Gog, referring to a prince or a country. Gog is also referred to in the book of Revelation. There are many differences in what is described in Ezekiel chapter 38 and Revelation chapter 20 concerning Gog. However, it is significant and should not be discounted that Gog is explicitly referred to in that chapter describing what will happen at the end of the millennium. Revelation chapter 20 verses 7 through 8. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four countries of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. According to Ezekiel chapter 38, Gog will come from the north, and Gog's allies will come from the areas surrounding Israel, specifically from what is now central Turkey, the mountainous area southeast of the Black Sea and southwest of the Caspian Sea, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, and possibly the Soviet Union. Commentators conjecture that Gog could also be a symbol of evil in the world, 
but that is not consistent with the nature of all the other prophecies in Ezekiel. What is clear is that Gog brings a military force that is opposed to God. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. Ezekiel 38.16 What is also clear is that Gog will be present in the terrible day of God's wrath, such as described in the book of Revelation. With pestilence and with blood I will enter into judgment with him, and I will reign on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 22. Now it's time to move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour to the New Testament book of James. And we are in chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 19 and then read through to chapter 2, verse 17. Hearing and doing the word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 2. The Sin of Partiality My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, 
you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Faith without works is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This concludes our reading from the New Testament portion from the book of James. There is much needed practical instruction in this reading. It is reminiscent of the Sermon on the Mount in that it deals with attitudinal sins as well as sinful actions. We need to have James 1.19 bridle our tongues and focus our hearts so that we are both God-centered and other-focused. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James chapter 1, verse 19. Let us receive the word implanted which is able to save our souls. In James chapter 1, verse 21. This speaks of the word of God performing a sanctifying work as well as bringing the good news of a sinner's justification by faith in Christ. See 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, we read, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The mirror we look to is the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the perfect law of liberty. When we look in the mirror of the word, we see that we are sinners in need of God's grace. Because we see that Jesus, the lawgiver, has also become the law-keeper in our hearts, we can have the courage to trust His indwelling presence to cause us to walk in His statutes and to do them. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26-27 through 27. This is the perfect law of liberty, described in James chapter 1, verse 25. To run and work the law commands, but gives me neither feet or hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. That poem is attributed to John Berridge, who lived from 1716 to 1793. James chapter 1 warns us of the many dangers of self-deception, not in the perfection of our walk, but in the direction of our walk. True faith will be evident in our true love for God and the desire that Christ will have the preeminence as Lord in every aspect of our lives. If our faith is truly alive, we will love the Lord, His people, and His commands. We will recognize sin as something to be turned away from, and we will recognize that God's word is to be obeyed. A person who cannot bridle his tongue gives evidence of the emptiness of his profession of faith. A person who shows partiality, in James chapter 2, verses 1-13, through 13, shows that he or she does not recognize that we are all equally sinners who have been brought to salvation by the same means of deliverance, 
the cross of Christ. James chapter 1 verse 14 reminds us that true faith is not dead or empty, but alive to a living Savior. That living faith will produce good works. Faith will give evidence to others, justifying our claim to be Christians. They will know we are Christians by our love, that is our genuine concern for others. Now let's go to the Bible's song and prayer book, the book of Psalms, and we are reading Psalm 117, which is the shortest psalm in the Bible. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever, Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 117 is the shortest in the book of Psalms and is composed of only two small verses, and yet they address the whole world. They call every inhabitant on earth to action. This psalm reminds us of four privileges that belong to God's people. Number one, the privilege of worshiping God. Praise the Lord, all nations. Loud him, all peoples. Verse one uses two words for praise. The first, hallel, which means celebratory praise. Here is the phrase hallelujah, praise to God. The second word for praise is shavah, which means to brag on, to boast, make much of, or as some translate it, loud. Our second privilege is the sharing of the gospel. In verse 1b, the call is for all nations and all peoples to praise him. Number three is the privilege of depending on God's love. In verse 2a, for his loving kindness is great toward us. This reminds us that we have been saved by grace, not by any works or merit of our own. This verse reminds me of God's love shown toward us in his sovereign work of saving us. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. The fourth privilege that we have is that we are resting on the divine authority of his word. In verse 2b, And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Now we go from the shortest psalm in the book of Psalms to this one verse in the book of Proverbs, the first verse in chapter 28. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Those who are in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ need not fear. We should be as bold as a lion. Those who are not in a right relationship with God do not know Him and they have many reasons to be fearful and have a distorted view of reality. Now let's pray together in the light of God's Word. Father, you have called us from death to life. The wind of your Spirit has ministered the life-giving breath of the Gospel, awakening our souls with the promises of the resurrection and the life in Christ Jesus. We're so grateful for the new covenant promises of forgiveness of sins and the power of your indwelling Spirit, enabling us to heed your commands and walk in your ways. You have given us the assurance of solid, eternal realities, making us as bold as lions. Our prayer is that all the earth would hear your word and come to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. We should be so grateful for the new covenant of God's grace. 
that we can be as bold as a lion because we have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus. If you have any questions or comments or any testimonies, we'd love to hear from you. You can always write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to receive a written commentary on each day's writing with illustrations, you can subscribe to a daily email at newlife.org. So until next time, my prayer is that the word of Christ will dwell richly in you and that throughout the day you will have a song in your heart admonishing you and teaching you that Jesus Christ has finished the work and he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Shalom. Shalom.